0: last paragraph in this chapter, and a paragraph that we will spend a little time in, not just today, but in the weeks to come, because it is such an important concept to grasp for our Christian life. It is talking about, well, it doesn't use the terminology, it's talking about the truth and the, and, and the significance of being in union with Christ. And we've talked about that in the past. Several years ago, I preached a whole series of messages on union with Christ. And and, and that's a concept in in the Christian life that sometimes we overlook too quickly. And in this passage, which one commentator called the most important passage in this book, and perhaps the most important passage in the New Testament. I don't know if that's true or not, but it is significant and it is important because he crams so much into ten verses. He, he just crams all this truth in there. So much so that sometimes it sounds like Paul is almost so filled with getting this truth out that he starts in one way and he turns and goes another and then he goes backward and then he, he just kind of goes erratically almost to get this truth laid out. Uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he went erratically, I might add. Not erratically as we might think it to be. But I want you to hear what Paul says here as he talks about death in Adam and life in Christ. He says, therefore, now what's the significance of therefore? He's not leaving his subject altogether. On on the basis of what we looked at over the last few weeks, Paul says, on that basis, therefore, so we're going to tie these together and see how they tie together. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, We read about that in our responsive reading. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The evidence of of this death spreading is that everybody sins. We we don't become a sinner because we sin. We sin because we're a sinner. Death came into the world. Death came into all men through Adam who were born in Adam. That's every human being on the earth. And so because of that, they all sinned. So you're not punished for Adam's sin, you punished or dealt with by your, for your own sin, but we have to understand that they, they are intrinsically tied together, they go together, we are in Adam. For, in, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come, Christ. Come back to that in a week or so. But the free gift, that is salvation, justification, reconciliation, that he talks about in the last passage. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. It's offered offer to all men. For as by one by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded more. I think we sang about that, didn't we? Just a few minutes ago. Grace bounded all the more so that for this reason as sin reigned in death grace is also uh, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord nowhere else only in Christ is their life. Only in Christ is their eternal life. Only in Christ is their righteousness. Only in Christ is there a redemption that reconciles those who are in Adam as sinners because of his transgression, reconciles them to a holy God, a, a living God in Christ Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of that says a lot. And like I say, we're just kind of introducing this passage today, and we'll talk about it more in depth in, in the future. But I want you to see several things about it. I want you to see the first thing that, that Paul talks about here, he says, there are two humanities on the face of the earth. There is humanity that at one time everybody was in, and that is the pool of humanity that is in Christ. And many rem- excuse me, in Adam, and many remain in Adam even today, because they are not in Christ. It is God's work in the gospel and God's work by His grace that bring men and women into faith in Christ and bring them in union with Christ and make them one with Christ in a very real way that that brings about this reconciliation, this redemption. But Paul says, I want you to see that there are two humanities. Uh, So far, Paul has surveyed both the universal extent of human sin and guilt and also the glorious adequacy the glorious adequacy of God's justifying grace in and through Christ Jesus. He made that clear. He, he's laid it out. and In doing so, He's led us down into the depths of human depravity. Chapter 1, chapter 3. He's led us into the very depths of human depravity, but also He's taken us up to the heights of divine mercy. He, he has shown us how Christ in the cross, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, has brought us the glory of God that is a a part of our life if we are in Christ. So he goes from the lowest depravity of man to the heights of the glory of God that is ours when we are in Christ. There are two humanities. He also indicates there are two communities, if you will. The one community is characterized by sin and guilt. they're living under that sin they're living in that guilt and they are in Adam the other is a community of faith and grace grace and faith whereby he has worked his work of grace in our lives individually and brought us together in community into a, a fellowship a communion a body that we call a church that he calls a church in his word And He's brought us together by grace and in faith so that we are are together in this thing, growing in that grace and growing in that walk with Christ. It's changing us. It's cleansing us. We'll talk about that in a minute when we talk about what this union with Christ does. We can also see that there are particular links between these two halves of Romans 5, 1 through 11 and 12 through 21 that we're looking at and starting to look at today. First of all, Paul has clearly attributed this reconciliation and salvation to the death of God's Son in verses 9 and 10. He said it's in the death of Christ that the reconciliation takes place. It's in the death of Christ that salvation takes place. And then he also makes it clear and ties them together by the last verse of each section when in verse 11 he says we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ and at the end of this passage he says so grace might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord that is a unifying factor of this whole chapter that everything is to be seen in Christ, through Christ, a part of of who he is it's interesting that through this paragraph through the, well really three paragraphs, but through this section that we're going to take as a whole and break down separately in the weeks to come, we we see that there's naturally three short paragraphs. Uh, The first one is 12 through 14 where Adam and Christ are introduced and Adam is seen as responsible for sin and death, but yet he is a pattern for one who is yet to come. We'll look at that later, but, but that he is a type. Adam was the first man in the old creation, in the original creation. Christ is really the first man in the new creation. And so while Adam brought death into the world and sin into the world and Christ brings redemption and reconciliation in the world, Adam was actually pointing to the one who was yet to come, who we will see in the gospel. So there's a clear tie there, a natural tie and relationship between Adam and Adam and Christ but there are significant differences secondly Adam and Christ are contrasted in verses 15 through 17 Uh, in, in each of these three verses the work of Christ is said to be either not like Adam's or much more successful than Adam's you see Adam's original creation was not to bring sin into the world Adam's original creation was to to show the glory of God in a relationship with God, in a fellowship with God that was enjoyed gloriously in the garden. But he did fall, and Eve did fall. And so Paul wants us to see that even though he was a type of Christ who was yet to come, even though he was pointing to that one who was yet to come, that he, the one who came later, the second Adam, the last Adam, is really more successful, greater than, and not bound by the first Adam in any way. He's free in totality from him. And, and Paul wants us to see that and grasp that because it makes all the difference in our world when we see the difference in the two and recognize that the differences still exist and still are there even today. Then in verses 18 through 21, Adam and Christ are compared. They're contrasted in the second paragraph. They're compared in this one. And and the structure is, is now something in 18, 19, and 21, just as so also. For the one man's deed, Adam's disobedience, and Christ's obedience, many have either been cursed or blessed, depending on who you're in if you're in Christ or if you're in Adam. That's the whole point that Paul is trying to make here. Want us to see here. Martin Lloyd Jones summed up the rationale in these words of, of this chapter saying of these, the second half of this chapter by saying, God has always dealt with mankind through a head and a representative. The whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what has happened because of Adam. And what has happened and will yet happen because of Christ. I think that's, that's a good summary of what Paul is wanting us to see in this particular passage of scripture in Romans chapter 5. He wants us to see everything is carried out by one of two heads. Some call it federal headship. He ruled over, the, over those whom followed. And, and Adam was head of the human race. And it's amazing that as we even read that today, out of uh, out of Genesis chapter three, it hit me again that you know we know that uh, we know that Satan lied in the garden. We know that Satan said, uh, you know, well, has God said that you can't eat of any tree in this garden? And and he was very quick to defend God. said, so no, no, no. God didn't say that we couldn't eat of any tree. He just said we can't eat of the tree that's in the very middle of the garden. We can't eat of it. We can't even touch it. It hit me again that nowhere did God say you can't touch it. He said you can't eat it. We all tend to add things to try to either defend ourselves or defend God when He doesn't need our defense. He just needs our obedience. So, you know, we see that in the fall. There's there's an exaggeration that comes about. And, And so the concept of our having sinned in Adam is certainly foreign to our American mentality. You know, we, we want, we're very individualistic. We're, we're very heartily individualistic. I want to, if I'm punished, I'm only punished because of what I've done, not because of what Adam did. I don't want to have any part of what happened with Adam. I just want to, I want to do it on my own. I want to have it on my own. That's the, that's the real issue that we see taking place in our day. And, and Paul says, I want you to understand, you are what you are outside of Christ. Because of your original father. Because of the one who fell in the garden. and So it's important that we see the contrast, the comparison, the concept of our having sinned in him. And, and because we are sinners, in Adam we sin. And The only answer to that is coming to Christ. It's having the grace of God by faith at work in our life walking by faith not walking by sight walking trusting him walking in him as we talked about finding our security and our hope in him is where we come to and where Paul wants us to see in, in, indeed the entire positive focus of this section we'll come back to the negative later maybe but the, uh, in the in the series but the entire focus of this positive is that those who are believers those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ are in union with Christ and that union brings about some enormous blessings enormous truths things that are taking place in our lives so I want us just to quickly run through a few of those and think about a few of those where Paul talks about it and others talk about it at other places in the scripture to kind of parallel this to understand what we're talking about we're talking about union in Christ where it comes from and how it affects us today to be in union with Christ Jesus. Number one, Paul says, I I want you to understand that in Christ you were given grace before the world was created. In Christ you were given grace before the world was created. Now that sounds strange. But that's exactly what the passage that that Dalton read to us earlier during the hearing of the word says out of 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Paul says there to young Timothy, who has saved us, talking about Christ, who has saved, or God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Now hear this part. Which He granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Wow. Before you were ever born... If you're in Christ, you knew you had the grace of God given to you already before you, as the, the old saying says, before you were even a twinkle in your parents' eyes, before there ever was a thought of you. Paul says, Don't you to understand? God's grace is not something that is willy nilly, it's not something that just comes and goes, it's not something that just changes his mind so and says, God, will give grace. No, it's an eternal thing. So in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you were given grace before the world was created. If you are in Christ today. Second thing Paul makes clear in Ephesians is in, in, in Christ Jesus, you were chosen by God before creation. Again, a, concept that's foreign to our individualistic ears who wants to say well I did this to get something for it but he said in Ephesians 1 4 God chose us talking about believers God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world his grace is eternal and his grace was calling us even before the foundation of the world took place second thing third thing about this union in Christ is that in Christ Jesus you are loved by God with an inseparable unchangeable, never-ending love. In Romans 8, 38 through 39, which we will get to later on, he says, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves that phrase. I love that phrase. In Christ Jesus Our Lord. Nothing can separate. When I read that passage out of Romans 8, 38 and 39, I lose my breath every time. Because it is one continuous, just sort of an expulsion of of praise that that Paul gives there. And and I, I want to read it that way. And it just wears me out to read those two little verses of Scripture. Because there's no break. There is no separation. Because... It's through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So in Christ Jesus, you are loved by God with an inseparable, unchangeable, unending love. In Christ Jesus, you are redeemed and forgiven all your sins. All of them. Ephesians 1, 7, Paul says, In Christ we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or the forgiveness of our sins. That's a glorious truth. That when we are in Christ, our sins are forgiven. If we are truly in Christ, our sins are forgiven. And it's in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that that takes place. It's not because of our deeds. It's not because of our works. But it's because of His glorious grace and His glorious work. Fifthly. According to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, in Christ Jesus you are justified before God, and the righteousness of Christ, righteousness of God in Christ is imputed to you. We talked about imputation of of righteousness. We talked about the exchange that takes place at the cross. He takes our sins upon Himself. He 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 imputes to us His righteousness, that that tremendous, great exchange that takes place. And and 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Christ, in union with Him, we might become the very righteousness of God. Every single one of these carries with it the idea of in Christ. It's where we are found if we have trusted Him. Sixth, in Christ Jesus, you have become a new creation and a child of God. In Christ, when you move out from being in Adam to being in Christ, you become a new creation and you're a child of God. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. You're given a new heart. You're given a new desire. You're given a new passion for life. Things change. Our selfishness becomes a giving attitude. Our our desire just for what I want, when I want it becomes, how can I minister to other people? That old is gone away and that new has come. In Adam, it's very selfish. In Christ, it's very ministry-oriented, very giving-oriented, Paul says. Or in Galatians three twenty-six, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. I, I'm always interested to hear people talk about in the news media or Even some religious leaders say, well, you know, we're all God's children. Everybody's God's children. No, not right. Paul makes it clear, in Christ Jesus, you are children of God. In Christ Jesus, you're a part of the family of God. In Adam, you're a part of the family of the world, part of the family of the ruler of this world. But in Christ Jesus, you're sons of God through faith. And that's what this union with Christ brings about. Seventh, I think I got time in Christ Jesus you have been seated in heavenly places even while you live on the earth sounds strange to our ears doesn't it right now if you are in Christ you are seated in the heavenly places Paul said in Ephesians 2.6 God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in union with him it's an already not yet type situation. We're living here in the in, in the, the muck and the mire of this world, struggling with sickness, struggling with pain, struggling, struggling with issues that we didn't we just wish we didn't have to struggle with. But Paul said, I want you to see your real location is in the heavenlies with Christ. You are seated with Him, positionally before God in the heavenlies. It's a glorious truth of being in Christ. Even while you're here on earth, you're seated with Christ. And you're protected by Him and by the Holy Spirit and by God the Father. Because that's where you're seated. Eighth, in Christ Jesus, all the promises of God are yes for you. All the promises of God belong to you. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He said, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That means every promise of God is wrapped up in Christ Jesus. You don't experience the blessings of the promises of God apart from Christ. It's in union with Christ. Now it gets a little more practical. In Christ Jesus, you are being sanctified and made holy. In Christ Jesus, you are being sanctified and made holy. In, In 1 Corinthians 1, 2, he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Being sanctified means to be set apart and to be changed. We're given a new heart, we're made a new creation, and Paul says, I want you to know that those who are in Christ are being sanctified. Do we still sin? Yes. Do we like our sin? No. That's the clear, clearest way to answer the question, am I in Christ or not? If I'm in sin and I love my sin, then I better check some things. But if I'm in sin and I hate my sin and I'm repenting of my sin and I'm trying to deal with that sin, then... then There's evidence there of sanctification. There's evidence there of being in Christ Jesus, which is what Paul says is the only place you ever really want to be. You're being sanctified. You're being made holy. In Christ Jesus, 10th, everything you really need will be supplied. Everything you really need will be supplied. Still haven't gotten that Porsche. I don't really need it. But the truth is everything I need for a daily walk for life for ministry everything I need God provides you're studying Philippians in Sunday school and Paul said to the Philippian Christians in 4:19 my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory how in Christ Jesus he said in Ephesians chapter 1 we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing In Christ Jesus. Every heavenly blessing in Christ Jesus. The point is, we want to look at temporal blessings and say, if we don't have the temporal blessings that we want, want, then we're not really blessed by God. And Paul says, I want you to understand, God is going to give you everything you need, and everything you want is not necessarily what you need. But Those who are in Christ will be given everything they need. Maybe that's the ability to fight temptation. And see sin defeated in your life on a daily basis. 11. In Christ Jesus, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. We've already talked about that a little bit in the first part of this chapter, that we have peace with God. But in Christ, we have the peace of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. How? In Christ Jesus. Do you see a pattern here? All these things are in Christ Jesus. They're not in ourselves. They're not in our nature. They're not in our abilities. They're in our being in Christ and walking with Christ. Twelfth. In Christ, you have eternal life. Do you notice I didn't start that first one at the beginning? That's where everybody wants to start. Oh, I have eternal life in Christ. I'll live forever in Christ I'll live forever. That's not the most important thing right now to you, or shouldn't be. I mean it's important and it's true. But if we just concentrate on the eternal life that is yet to come and we will have that one day in Christ and and if we're in Christ we'll have that. If we're just concentrating on that we miss out on all these other things that being in Christ does for us right now. In the here and now. It's so important. You have eternal life. Paul said in uh, Romans 6.23 which we haven't gotten to yet. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life, hear it, in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no universalism in that. There's no. In, we have eternal life, period. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then finally, it kind of goes along with the eternal life. 13, and in Christ Jesus you will be raised from the dead at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 said, "In Adam all die, and in Christ those who are in Christ shall be made alive. All in Christ shall be made alive. To those united with Adam in the first humanity, they will die spiritual deaths. To those united with Christ in the new humanity will rise to live again. Even after physical death, we'll rise to a new glorified physical life in the presence of our Lord forever and ever, eternally. So Paul is saying, I want you to understand something as we read this passage, as we read this text, as we deal with it, I want and see these other parallel passages throughout the New Testament through Paul's writings. I want you to see and understand that the real significance Paul wants us to grasp in this is what it means to be in union with Christ. How that is practical. How that is a daily cleansing matter in our life when we understand it and walk in it and believe it and, and, and su- submit ourselves to the authority of God in our life to what He wants to do in us. In us. Pastors are bad to, I'm just using us, you're the same way, but I'll pick on pastors. We're bad to think about how we want to see the Spirit of God and sanctification take place in somebody else. We have to look inward. We have to look back. What are you teaching me because of my union with Christ? Because of my relationship with Christ? What are you teaching me? What are you doing? And sometimes that's such a personal thing, you can't even share it with anybody else. You just have to trust it, believe it, and walk in it until the time when he makes it known. So, we get into Christ. Paul seems to be saying in both an unconscious and a conscious way. At the unconscious level, it's God's sovereign work. I mean, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says... But by his doing, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. By his, by God's doing, you are in Christ. That is an unconscious work of God through his Holy Spirit, by his grace that comes about in the life of every believer. But then on the conscious level, there's there's an action of faith. Christ dwells in our hearts, Paul says in Ephesians 3.17, through faith. The life we live in union with His death and life, we live by faith in the Son of God, Galatians 2.20. We are united in His death and resurrection, according to Colossians 2.12, through faith. So it's God's sovereign work of grace in our life that is responded to by faith, that is lived out by faith. And Paul even says grace is even a gift of God. And we live it out for His glory. We live it out seeking to honor Him, glorify Him in all that we do. turns our lives outwards. It's a wonderful truth, union with Christ. And union with Christ is the ground of our joy, Union with Christ is the, the ground of our everlasting joy that starts now and it continues now and ends in His presence one day. And here's the kicker. It's free. It's a free gift given by Him to you through His Son that brings you into this life-changing, life-revolutionizing, life Engulfing union with Christ. You cannot be in union with Christ and stay the same. It's freeing, it's liberating. the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, the simple truth about being in Adam or in Christ is that your grace is greater than our sin. It really is. Father, this morning we ask you to show us that grace mightily. For those who are in grace, reaffirm it. use it as a sanctifying work in our lives perhaps those who are not in your grace not in Christ Lord by your grace show them their need for their Savior for the only Savior Jesus Christ our Lord because Father as Paul is pointing out in this whole chapter everything peace with god reconciliation with god salvation from god all comes all comes through the lord jesus christ there's no other door there's no other road there's no other way but through him father we thank you and we praise you